plan for your life? Do you know where you want to go? Are you looking to be happier, healthier, and wealthier while having more fun every day? Meet our empowerment architect and goddess gardener, Cynthia Bryan, as she engages in energetic exchanges with success experts, bringing you research, innovations, strategies, and techniques to strengthen your life, business, and personal spaces. Be inspired, motivated, encouraged, and empowered. Lend us your ears right here on Star Style. Be the star. Are you are the party starts now? Well, welcome, power partners, to our informational playground at Star Style Be the Star You Are. We're brought to the airwaves under the auspices of Be the Star You Are charity, a 501c3. And we are here to entertain and educate and hopefully inspire you. I am Cynthia Bryan coming to you live on the Voice American Network. This is the Empowerment Channel. The miracle moment for today is uh, brought to you by Be The Star You Are. We are featuring a, a, a Wednesdays with writers, and we're bringing writers to the airwaves, authors that have books that are out through Be The Star You Are and Star Style. So please visit BeTheStarYouAre.org and make a donation so we can continue doing this. Edwin Chapin said this, A true man never frets about his place in the world, but just slides into it by the gravitation of his nature and swings there as easily as a star. <laughs> I thought that was perfect for Be The Star You Are. So um, as part of our Be The Star You Are disaster relief outreach program, Be The Star You Are has collaborated with the Authors Guild and with Star Style to showcase new books that are launched by many authors from around the country in a variety of genres. So for the next few months, you want to make sure you're tuned in here to Star Style Be the Star You Are on Wednesdays from 4 to 5 for Wednesdays with Writers. And then on Express Yourself Teen Radio, which airs on Sundays at 3 p.m. Pacific for Super Smart Sundays. And they will be uh, focusing on authors, bloggers, poets, as well as some musicians. And all, both shows broadcast right here on Voice America Network, the Empowerment Channel. So, you know, for here at Star Style, it's going to be a, a giant readathon, and you're going to learn about books that uh, are, you're not going to see events right now because nobody can, you know, we have to shelter in place. Well, with that, what we're going to be talking about today in segment two, we have author Hoyle coming up. He's a writer, educator, and independent filmmaker. His documentary films have won numerous awards. They've aired on PBS. And we're going to be discussing his second book, which is called Mavericks, Mystics, and Misfits, Americans Against the Grain. And uh, he takes the reader on a journey across American history through the lives of very exemplary men and women whose stories capture the spirit of their time and place and reveal American character. So that's a very interesting thing. And, you know, um, history, we, history can repeat itself, right? But let's find out what these Mavericks mixed it and um, misfits have to say. And then in our final segment, John Siebert Barnesworth, is a nature writer, and he's based in the San Juan Islands in Washington State. And he has written a, a new book called Nature Beyond Solitude, Notes from the Field. And he writes in situ, which means he actually 
takes and does his writing in the field. So he doesn't write it years later or anything. It, it's, he has a great sense of humor, and he explores the communal experience of nature at five different West Coast field stations during um, a sabbatical that he's taken for six months, and he assists with the long-term ecological studies. So it's really fun because it is field notes, and it is you just feel like you're in the moment right there. But right now, I want to talk about uh, fashion and sustainability because climate awareness has morphed into all facets of our life. We're always using the words recycle, reuse, repurpose, renew. I mean, they have been in the moment words for quite a while. And fortunately, the fashion industry is maybe finally getting on board the, this movement. At least um, we hope so. So I, we want to see how we can be more sustainable and still be more fashionable. Now, as you might have known, last year, the Swedish Fashion Council made an unprecedented move while planning the annual Stockholm Fashion Week. They actually canceled the week entirely, and they cited concerns about its environmental impact. Now, not everybody in fashion is taking such drastic measures, but it did speak to the urgent need for action on the issue, and one that designers and customers alike are now recognizing. So fashion is responsible for about 10% of the world's carbon emissions and nearly 20% of the world's water waste. Now, that is huge. And this is according to United Nations groups. An estimated 85% of the world's textiles end up in landfills or are incinerated. And fast fashion probably, you know, contributes a lot to this waste, um, but it's not the only thing that's contributing. At the G7 summit in August, 32 major fashion companies, including Caring, Chanel, and Inditrex, that's the parent company of Zara, they committed to a host of environmental initiatives, agreeing to eliminate single-use plastics by 2030 and to seek out more sustainable sources of raw materials. And um, Gabriella Hurst made headlines when she offset the carbon footprint of her spring 2020 fashion show in New York by limiting transportation energy costs, by booking local models, by minimizing packaging and energy use, and reducing weight. And then after Nordstrom created a mechanism for customers to shop online for sustainable styles, customer searches for that category rose uh, 3,100%. It, that's in just one year. That's kind of amazing. So do you think the fashion industry finally has shifted from lip service sustainability to actually having an impactful action? Well, maybe. <laughs> Many are making some changes and others are being forced to make changes or they're being incentivized to do better because of socioeconomic forces. And There are stricter recycling laws in many, many uh, countries, and that galvanizes activism. And in 2019, um, Karen, who's the owner of Gucci and uh, Balenciaga and Saint Laurent, they, and and a lot of other, other luxury brands, obviously, they pledged to offset the greenhouse gases by purchasing carbon credits and to commit to a full carbon neutrality across the company. Now, I'm not sure how that works, but this is what they're saying they're going to do. And that's what Burberry and um, 
uh, LVMH also have said they're going to do that too. Because writing checks won't make the fashion giants truly sustainable, but it is a potent and promising gesture from the industry leaders. So we have to kind of think of the carbon footprint, um, especially on the red carpet, because, you know, red carpet fashions, and we're, we're over the red carpet season, but award seasons is that time when a, f- a fashion clothes, gowns, suits, they're worn once, if at all, but they're jetted across the world. And some stars are shaking up the status quo because they're realizing the sustainability factor. For example, Joaquin Phoenix showed up at the Golden Globes uh, in January in this beautiful Stella McCartney tuxedo, and he promised to rewear it throughout the award season. Now, it's, of course, easier for a guy to get away with that than a gown, but we have to start thinking about maybe just recycling gowns. Now, Hollywood stylist uh, Jean Yang said several of her clients have requested sustainable options for their red carpet appearances. And one of the people, Aquaman, um, Jason uh, Momoa, yeah, that's right, at his um, Aquaman premiere, he wore a vintage Tom Ford kind of era Gucci robe that Yang found uh, for him. And then he actually slipped it off to dance the haka. And so, you know, he tries, um, he tried not to use fast fashion. And Yang is like, is trying to cook up a concept for suits that could be worn three or four different ways to reduce the need for her clients' uh, frequent wardrobe changes. It's now kind of boastworthy to participate in sharing economy and reuse enterprises such as Rent the Runway or The Real Real. And they, they actually post on their website the gallons of water that are offset by each customer's purchase. So this is heartening, but none of this nears the tidal wave of action that is actually required of the fashion industry and the consumers who support it. So it may take some real discomfort to make changes necessary in time to avert planetary disaster and discomfort, unless we're talking stiletto heels, it's rarely embraced by the very East obsessed fashion industry. So what do we uh, people who just don regular clothes do? Well, I think it's time, especially especially for people who are shopaholics or just have to have the, the newest wardrobe all the time, to start rethinking this and go into your closet and see what you have from uh, last season or years before and see if you can repurpose or reuse or add a belt or a collar or make it longer or shorter or whatever it is. Because it's the only way that we are going to be sustainable, have less of a carbon footprint, and really do help our environment. As for me, I have um, made, sewed most of my own clothes for, and and interior design things, you know, as far as uh, window treatments and pillows and upholstery, blankets, all that kind of stuff for years. But I really like to repurpose things. I have a fantastic Halston gown that I actually bought at a consignment store many, many, many years ago. 
and it has been refashioned uh, and I have used it on shoots on def many different movies, um, including Peggy Sue Got Married. It always gets chosen for some reason, and I think probably about 12 different times. So I'm not going to give that up. But every time that I have an event, I don't go out and buy something new. I just figure out how ca I can make it look contemporary and use it for today. So think about that. You can do that too. It, you know, if you have some really good fabrics and good things in your closet, there's no need to go out and buy more. So let's save our planet together. Okay, when we come back from break, we're going to be talking to author author Arthur Hoyle and his book, Mavericks, Mystics, and Misfits. I'm excited to get this party started. So stay with me. I'm Cynthia Bryan, and I'll be back in a bit. Be the star you are, the star you are. Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world, lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR, 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 and visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan, www.cynthiabryan.com. This business of show business is calling out to me. Get started acting or modeling with a consultation from media coach extraordinaire Cynthia Bryan, who has guided entertainment careers for over two decades. Call 925-377-STAR or visit www.cynthiabryan.com. Pick up a copy of her award-winning book, The Business of Show Business, and start living your dreams today. Call 925-377-STAR, 925-377-STAR. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show business is calling out to me. Well, we're back. I'm Cynthia Bryan, and you're listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Our guest for our Wednesdays with Writers in this segment is Arthur Hoyle. He is the author of Mavericks, Mystics, and Misfits, Americans Against the Grain. He's a writer, an educator, an independent filmmaker, and you might have even seen some of his documentary films because they've won numerous awards. They've aired on PBS. And he's received a media grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities. He has received his bachelor's and master's degrees in English from the University of California, Los Angeles. Yay, go UCLA. And taught <laughs> one of my alma maters. And um, taught English, coached tennis, and served as an administrator in independent schools. Arthur, are you with, with us? 
I am. Oh, great. Welcome to Star Style. Be the star you are. Well, thank you very much for having me, Cynthia. So oh, nice to be talking with you. My pleasure. I'm very excited to have you with us, and congratulations on your book. I love the cover. I think it's really, it was exciting, and I love the, the title as well, The Mavericks, Mystics, and Misfits, Americans Against the Grain. So let's dive right in, Arthur, because you chose 10 occasions to write about in your book. And, um, I mean, these are all people or couples that you wrote about throughout history. But I was just wondering, what was the criteria for choosing a person or a couple as your focus? Well, the first criteria was, or criterion was, um, that they be exemplary in some way or another. Um, And that was the the kind of the motivation for the book in the first place, it, it grew out of my, my biography of Henry Miller, who, who writes about exemplars in his nonfiction. Um, his exemplars are usually artists like Walt Whitman or D.H. Lawrence right. um, or spiritual figures like Jesus or the Buddha. But he, 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 he also admired people who just did significant things with their lives and in their lives and, and lived um, kind of as artists, not necessarily in an art form, but just made their life an art. So I was looking for people uh, at, at key periods in American history um, who stood out because of the way they lived, or in some cases because of things that they wrote. But most of the, most of the, pe- the people that I chose, um, I chose because of the the outstanding things that they had done that were in one way or another countercultural. That's the Americans against the grain part of it. And, so, and, and very brave to be countercultural. That yes, was the thing yeah. that struck me, their, their courage. Yes, many of them paid a, a, a heavy price for uh, the positions that they took. Um, and um, not all of them were admired in their own time or even after their time. Um, but many of them later became sort of legendary or heroic figures uh, in the in the American story. Well, and some of them, most people know, like Thomas Paine, you know, that you wrote about the voice of the revolution. But one, I, because we have not limited time, I wanted to jump ahead if it's okay. Sure. I was really interested in William and Ellen Craft, Runaways to Freedom. I was not aware of them, and I found their story so incredibly heroic. The fact that they were uh, both slaves, and they had to, together they got married, they made this brave escape from slavery, and how they became advocates and literally um, warriors to help free their people. Will you talk a little bit about them and how you how you discovered William and Ellen Craft? Well, I actually came across their story a long time ago. It was back in the in the in the 70s actually uh, that I came across their story when I was doing some research for a possible documentary film on the history of black people in the United States. Ah, fascinating. So that was when I first came across their story, and it and and what popped out was William had written this book called you know Runaways for Freedom or Runaways to Freedom um, that he had published in England, 
and it sort of gave a very sketchy um, outline of their of their saga. Um, and the documentary film didn't work out. Um, I put the project aside. But when I got the idea for this book and I wanted to do a chapter on uh, on slavery uh, in the South, um, I immediately went went back to them and I had already done some research on them. So I had kind of a head start and I found a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of additional material about them in, in my in my research. And you're right. What what's striking about them is is their is their courage, the 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 risks that they took to in, in their escape it was such that a, was I mean that was like a movie in itself I could yeah. just I could really see this being made uh, as a movie I mean having ha- I, I vote in the Screen Actors Guild Awards and you know Harriet was up um, for the award and for Academy Award as well and just to know what they had to go through it it was really and you just portrayed it so beautifully in your book Maverick well, thank Mystics you, thank and you thank it. you yeah yeah i think what ellen uh, had to endure the stress that she was under um having to carry out this um ruse, ruse in, as in, a man in, yeah impersonating a man and impersonating a white man um just you know, given her background and given the, the context was just an amazing act of courage and um, daring. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, William was the one who kept telling her, you know, that she could do it and, and, you know, that he believed in her, but, but William was in the background uh, because he was, you know, being a black slave. And he was so a slave, he, exactly. So, and it so could he have was, so easily gone south and he could have easily been traded. I mean, he there was even that, you mentioned in your book, there was even that encounter where somebody offered to buy him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Wow. Well, and, the, and the risk that they that they were taking was that they would lose their, their they had very privileged lives as slaves. Um and and they they were risking losing that and and being you know sold off into really the the most hor- horrendous conditions of slavery where you you know you're working on sugar plantations in the hot in the heat and um, you know under cruel uh, overseers cruel owners yeah yeah so so it was they they took a big risk and then and then the fact that that having succeeded that they their thoughts then turned to their 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 fellow blacks, and what they could do to help them, you know, by working in the abolitionist movement, and then going back into the South during Reconstruction. Wow, um, that's really frightening. Yeah, I mean, they facing were risking their lives again. Yeah, yeah, and facing the hostility that they would they were sure to encounter. You know, they knew they would encounter it, and to go back and do that, um, it is it is a, a, a kind of epic story. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I'm surprised it hasn't been made into a movie. You know, no, it really, it really, I mean, that chapter just stood out to me so much that it, you know, I mean, you're a documentarian. Maybe you still need to make that movie <laughs> and make it into a film, you know, instead of a documentary. Yeah. Because yeah. it is is just excellent. But, you know, you wrote at the end of the chapter that they never succumbed to the racism that formed the basis of life in the American South. They just endured it and triumphed over it. Yeah. Yes. So yes. they really not only just courage, but they had 
they had optimism, they had confidence and a, a determination, I would say, just incredible determination. Yeah, very strong will to, mm -hmm. to, to, do, to do what they did, just not, never giving up. Just, uh... and, it, and it just brought it kind of full circle because there's so much racism today in our yes. world. Yes, It's frightening to me what's happening again. You have uh, some references to the Ku Klux Klan in here that I thought was rather, was really interesting as well. And gosh, we just don't want to see that ugly head rising again. <laughs> Well, it's a deep current. It's a deep current in our history. Um, the, the, you know, the, 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 the slavery tradition came here uh, with the, the, the settlers. I mean, because it, it, it was in Europe and, and it was in the, the ancient well, Greek, in, in, in the ancient Greek and Roman. In Greece. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's been throughout history, but it still astounds me that humans can be trying to sell humans. It's still, and it's still happening today. I mean, it's still happening in Libya where they're, you know, they're selling other Africans for a couple hundred dollars to go work in fields. It's, it's really sad. Yeah. Well, it just shows you how deep rooted um, institutions uh, are in human history and uh, how difficult it is to, to uproot them, how difficult it is to bring about change. Um, you know, we're, we're constantly fighting the same battles over and over and over again through, through history. So, um, you know, it's, it's, it's part of our, um, part of who we are as human it's beings. It's part of our DNA. It almost feels like it's part of our DNA. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you, um, you have a bachelor's and master's degree in English, but this, I mean, and you're a beautiful writer, Arthur, I want to compliment you. Thank Your you. writing Thank you. Is, is very descriptive and, and lovely, but you're obviously a student of history as well, or at least uh, you really enjoy biographies and autobiographies and does that come from your love of doing documentaries yeah that, there's a tie-in there to uh you know digging out um digging out the facts of a situation and uh understanding the context of a situation um and i mean i've always been interested in how we as individuals have to um Contend with all with all of these different contexts as we um, as we go through our lives. I mean, we have the context of our family, we have the context of our school, we have the context of our society, you know. And we're all trying to be, um, you know, who we are or find out who we really are. Um, and then sometimes, in order to do that, you have to, uh, you know, really investigate the forces that have shaped you and try to understand them. So I think that's what was you know was driving me in, in on the historical side of this book was to trying to understand you know wh what what were the circumstances that that shaped the the lives of these individuals and then how did they assert their individuality in spite of the power of those shaping forces yeah and um, how did they rise above it yeah well and and every single um, every character in here is really fascinating. But I'm going to I'm going to um, talk about Thomas Merton, the restless hermit. What an interesting uh, <laughs> dichotomy of a character. I mean, he began his life as a kind of a bon vivant, and then becomes yes. a 
Catholic monk and finally a priest and then falls in love again and then becomes a hermit and and then lives at the Gethsemane, you know, um, and I guess the Catholic Church eventually really he really decided that was going to be his home so that he could write in solitude. And so he was always kind of trying to escape his past, it seemed. Yes, um, I, I think his his he, he felt burdened by his past, and he, I That's also the think right he, word. <laughs> and I also think that he carried a a very strong sense of guilt about um, you know the, the the child that he fathered out of wedlock, um, the shame that he brought on his family, um, the shame that he brought on himself. Um, I, I think that was a a, a very traumatic. Event for him, but he was obviously a man um, who had strong passions and and you know was a some, something of a sensualist. Right, um, and and that's why it made it. That's why he's so fascinating because he went from being the sensualist to becoming this hermit who yeah. literally you know flagellates himself and and he he wants to be holy. I mean, he was always struggling against pride and wanting to, you know, wanting to be this lover of every, of the world. Yeah. I mean, he had an awareness of these contradictions in his own character. Um, and for him, the, the priesthood and, and the becoming a monk going into an order where there would be a strict discipline that would confine him in a way, you know, that would tame him, tame his passions. Um, he just saw that as the way for him to, to rise, you know, to transcend his, you know, his baser nature. Um, but he, he was very connected to the world. You know, he remained connected to the world. He wasn't, he was very connected. I mean, he traveled and he wrote so much and he met with Dalai Lama. And I mean, he, he met with very important people and he changed people's lives. Yeah. He was very, he was very influential. Um, his writing drew a lot of people into the Catholic faith and into, you know, living their lives on a more spiritual path. Um, so he, do you yeah, he, think, do you think that, I mean, the way he died was, um, interesting cause he always said he would, he wanted to be struck by lightning Yeah, and I mean, that's not exactly the way he died, but do you think that in the end he would have felt fulfilled in that he had achieved the inner peace or the connectiveness to the, to God or uh, you, to his soul that he was really seeking? I think he found it. Yeah, I, I definitely think he found it. I think it shows in his writing. Um, you can't write the way he wrote unless you are in a very holy place. Mm-hmm. And, um, I, you know, I, I definitely think that he, he, he achieved his, his, um, his goal of, of spiritual refinement. But that's too, is a, an endless process. You know, you're kind of never there. Yeah. Uh, and and uh, where's there, right? You, you know, well, there, there, where's there? <laughs> there is the empty mind that, that, that reflects back on the universe. And, and that, that I was very amused by that little anecdote in the, in the chapter that I came across that he, he was having a conversation with a, a, a Buddhist monk uh, in, in Asia who had been, you know, on the spiritual path for, 
I don't know, 30 or 40 30 years. years, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and, he, and he asked this man if he had ever achieved a state of, 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 of complete emptiness no. in, in his meditations. And, he, and the guy said, no, no. he hadn't he been able to do it. He was still working on it. I know. When I read that, Arthur, I went, oh, my gosh, I have a long way to go. I, I yeah. work meditating every day. And, you know, my mind doesn't go empty. Well, yeah. there's so much more in this book. It's a fascinating book. I wanted to get to Plains, the Plains Warrior, and I also wanted to talk about uh, the revolution from the ground up about the environment, but we're actually out of time. So I want to direct listeners to author's website, arthurhoyle.com. It's spelled A-R-T-H-U-R-H-O-Y-L-E. The name of his book is Mavericks, Mystics, and Misfits. Americans Against the Grain. And if you want a really in-depth, fascinating read about people who have really made a difference uh, in this country, this is the book for you. So, Arthur, I'll just let you give your last final words, and we have to, uh, we have to end our conversation, unfortunately. Well, thank you very much for having me uh, on your show. Cynthia, I really appreciate it. And I just want to encourage people, this is a a difficult time for everyone um, because of the pandemic, but also because of all the turmoil in our political life. And um, these people that I found in this book um, are inspiring. They they gave me heart to read their stories. And I think that their stories will give heart to you as well. Absolutely well said, because we do need inspiration and we need direction in these hard times. So be safe, be healthy, be strong. Visit ArthurHoyle.com. Pick up a copy of Mavericks, Mystics, and Misfits. Thank you, Arthur, for being a guest on Star Style. Be the star you are. I really appreciate it. Oh, I'm, I'm very grateful, Cynthia. Thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. You've been listening to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. We're going to be right back, and we have another wonderful author coming up with Nature Beyond Solitude. John Farnsworth will be joining me. I'm Cynthia Bryan. We are coming to you live. This is the Voice America Network, the Empowerment Channel. So I hope that you're feeling very inspired. Be right back. Be the star you are. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Business Bites. Here's Cynthia Bryan. Be the star you are. The star you are. The annual cost of illiteracy to American taxpayers is over $225 billion. Help increase literacy, reduce violence, and improve positive media messages by making a tax-deductible contribution to Be The Star You Are charity. A top-rated nonprofit, Be The Star You Are promotes positive role models, produces positive radio broadcasts, and donates positive books to empower women, families, and youth. Be a power partner and join our galaxy of stars. Visit our website at bethestarur.org to make a tax-deductible donation using PayPal or send checks to P.O. Box 376, 376, Moraga, California, 94556. Bethestarur.org. Dare to care. You are the star. 
us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. Are you seeking a Dynamo speaker for your meeting, conference, or organization? Internationally recognized keynote speaker and New York Times bestselling author and lifestyle coach, Cynthia Bryan, will bring her energetic expertise, passionate professionalism, and ebullient personality to your event. Hailed as an expert in lifestyle, women's issues, self-help, personal balance, leadership, media, gardening, and interior design topics, Cynthia Bryan is a popular empowerment keynote speaker around the world. Lecturing to audiences of 100 to 5,000. For rates and bookings, call 925-377-STAR. 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 And visit www.cynthiabryan.com. When you want the best, book Cynthia Bryan. www.cynthiabryan.com. It's power time on Star Style. Be the star you are with your passion, purpose, and possibility producer, Cynthia Bryan. Now, back to the power party. This business of show. This is the power party, and I am so glad you stayed with me. Hello again. I'm Cynthia Bryan. We're coming to you live on the Voice American Network. This is the Empowerment Channel. And our next guest is a fantastic nature writer, and you're going to just love our conversation and what he has to say. His name is John Seibert Farnsworth, and He's actually based in the San Juan Islands of Washington. He writes about ecology like a storyteller, and his book is humorous. It is self-deprecating, and it's fun. He is um, an emeritus faculty at Santa Clara University. He was chair in the Environmental Writing and Literature Department. So welcome, John, to Star Style, Be the Star You Are. Well, thank you. I really appreciate the invitation. Well, I am delighted because I really, I'm a, I'm a nature girl, but nothing like what you have been doing at these field stations. <laughs> but before we get into your book, Nature Beyond Solitude, Notes from the Field, I just wanted to say from reading your bio, you actually did end up getting a place in the San Juan Islands because you had mentioned mm-hmm. that in your book that you were looking at a boat for transportation. Right. <laughs> so you have and to we... be on a ferry. Right. Well, we're, we live on a non-ferry island. It's That's a, a, what you a, said. You said you so. wanted to live on a non-ferry island. You wrote that in Nature Beyond Solitude. <laughs> and yeah. So and I was just wondering if, and so you made it. You did it. We did it. Right. Right. It was, How's uh, that going? How do you like it? Well, it was crazy because I lived and worked in a dormitory during my last uh, uh, dozen years at Santa Clara. Uh-huh. And and we we bought this thinking as a retirement getaway at some point, uh, and what a difference from you know I lived with uh, 420 first year students, students. <laughs> <laughs> freshmen basically, uh-huh. and uh, and and then to come to the solitude of the island, uh, uh, you know even even before the the lockdown bit, uh, this has just been a real great place to be in solitude learning a new ecology place you mean it's probably like the only creatures you're seeing might be the animals and 
in the forest and the, <laughs> and the creatures in the sea. <laughs> we saw a weasel yesterday, and that was kind of a highlight. We see oh. deer all the time and, uh-huh. <laughs> and so on. So, yes. so you don't have to worry about the people. So probably the pandemic is not going to reach you. Let's hope. Well, let's, hope. let's get yes. to your wonderful book, Nature Beyond Solitude, Notes from the Field. Uh, you write in situ, which means you're writing in the field. Uh, what I was so impressed with is your sense of wonder and fun. It was very contagious because you seem to be, every little thing seems to interest you so much. How did you choose these various field stations that you wanted to visit during the six-month sabbatical that you took? Well, you know, I just started with one and added another and another. I I didn't know if it was a crazy idea or not. The, the first person I, I called was the, at the uh, uh, in in Carmel Valley at the Hastings Reserve, and you know, just asking this very famous professor from Cornell, say, you know, can I come and be kind of a unpaid research assistant for a month and and write about it? And they said, sure. When can you when can you get down here? And every one of them I called, the five that are in the book, they all said the, yes right away. They were the same way. They didn't take any, and of course. It gained momentum, as I would say, well, I'm going to be at Hastings, and now I want to come and visit your field station. And they're, oh, great. You know, some some actually sponsored me with a residency, gave me a, a small stipend and or else helped with travel money, whatever. So it uh, it just kind of happened and worked. Well, you know, it was it was fascinating um, the way that you did it, because you had to put together like things to bring, your equipment, you know, your writing table and all the different <laughs> things. Well, you, how did that all work out when you were going out into the field? Because sometimes it sounded like, you know, I remember in one chapter you were talking about, oh, you know, I don't think I, I don't need much water today, so I'm just going to take one water bottle right. and then you're almost died out because right. you were sweating so much going up the hill. How did you figure out what you needed to bring? Because a lot of the places you had to bring your own food, and of course right. you had to bring your beer and wine and your tea. <laughs> <laughs> it was, it was, it would have been great if I could have done a a, a six month practice and then go back and do the yes. real thing because right. I I made pretty much every mistake. That's that's one thing that John Steinbeck said in the Log of the Sea of Cortez that he really needed a a second expedition. He only had one, but because they they finally figured out what they needed to bring and so on, and I, I very much had that experience. Uh, at at one point, I was limited by how much I could have per day, and I, I forget what it was. It, you know, it was including like, it was like thirty or forty pounds, wasn't it? Yeah. It was it was, yeah. it was like not very much stuff, and you had I mean, and that meant everything. And, <laughs> right, right. So I had one beer per day yeah. to make it in that thing. And uh, then they were going to weigh everybody. The but students they, who were leaving that left you a oh, case. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and they weren't even my students. I know. That was so crazy. But, I know. It, you know, the guy just waved me on to the boat uh, and didn't weigh me at all because he could tell I was a researcher or a, a faculty person or whatever. It had to be so, a beard. 
Or you said a little bit of the grain in <laughs> just, your beard. You look so professional right. that you didn't look like a student <laughs> that was coming to party, right? <laughs> it was pretty obvious I wasn't one of the kids. <laughs> well, um, you, you did these different stations, but on Santa Cruz Island, there are these island foxes that you described as the size of cats and that are disappearing. I, I Having been uh, a scuba diver and having dove all the different islands down there, I was just wondering about your observations while you were there. So w- tell us about these island foxes. And I also want to know about the honeybees. You were saying that the honeybees were a problem, whereas where every place else they're talking about colony collapse syndrome. So mm-hmm. what was the issue with the honeybees? And then, well, and again, tell me about those foxes. They sounded so cute. Well, first of all, the foxes were just amazing. And being on an island where they they historically haven't had predators, uh, they're, they're almost they're friendly. Tame. Yeah. Uh, almost they don't friendly. want you to come up to them, but they'll come up to you. And uh, especially if you're barbecuing some chicken or something like that, and they <laughs> smell it and all. And they're, they're just, they're amazing creatures. When I was there, they were still on the endangered species list. A few months later, the, the ones at Santa Cruz were, were taken off. They were delisted, which was just, it's such a great success oh, story. So great. Yeah, and you always you, hear that's that, why I was concerned, because it said that they were yeah. endangered. That's what you wrote about. So they're they were, better. They're okay it, now. Yeah, there's there's still a lot of uh, conservation. As a matter of fact, next week is the Island Fox Working Group, where you get people from everywhere, different zoos, the Navy, uh, different universities that are working on this conservation. Um, so we still have to keep an eye on them. We still, uh, but right now on that island, there are a couple thousand of the foxes, and and that's great. Um, the honeybee thing was interesting because. They were, they're not native, and they're especially not on an island. That island. Correct. Uh, so the same with the Argentine ants that were, uh, they're, they're going to displace native species and maybe not do the, the, as good a job pollinating native plants. So they got rid of those, and that, as soon as they got rid of the native honeybees, I mean, the, the non-native honeybees, uh, Different thistles started dying out that were invasive and so on. So uh, they're really trying to do kind of a pure restoration of that island because it's such a good laboratory. So are they trying to bring back native honeybees? Is that what they're trying to do? Well, there are certainly native bees. Yeah, but I mean... The honeybee is a a European import. Okay, that's that's it. So the honeybees are... They were not. They weren't good for the island. It's, but the native bees are they endangered? Well, th- see, the problem is sometimes, like the ants. Once the Argentine ants get into the island, all they take out all the native ants. They kill uh-huh. them, and that's in, in so some that was the island same thing ecologies. With the yeah, like in Hawaii, that's that's just caused a, a, a chain, a, a cascade of of different ecological problems. So, but I was surprised too when I first heard that. Uh, you know, you got rid of honeybees. I thought they were always good. Well, right. bees are I, good, I, but that not was necessarily. My feeling the, too. I had no yeah. idea until you wrote about it. Yeah, I was surprised. One of the things that I wish you had done in your book, Nature Beyond Solitude, and if 
joining us. We're, we're talking with John Farnsworth, who is the author of it, is I wish it included photos because you describe the most beautiful birds. And <laughs> uh, have you always loved birds? Have you always been a birder? It sounds like your wife is a birder. Yeah, well, we're doing that together, certainly. Um, I fun. haven't always been because I'm I'm severely colorblind, and it took... Uh, that was going to be my next question. So go ahead, talk about that. <laughs> and I think I think once I I, I discovered really good optics, uh, you know, the more expensive kind of binoculars and stuff, where I could actually see details in the feather topography and and uh, not have to worry about the color vision part of it. Um, and I I just kind of made it happen. A, a lot of my birding is by ear these days. Uh, you know, we can just be walking down the a road and and I I don't even have to see the bird I I know what it is now you know so you oh. you make up for for different things um, so yeah, in your color blindness John do you just see black and white and grays no 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 I see about eight colors but like I don't distinguish between brown and green I've never That's seen purple so. Okay, because, again, when you were writing, and I know you were out in the field, and when you were um, doing the sightings and how you have to call the different sightings, you know, on your walkie-talkies, and you missed one because it had an orange breast or something, but you couldn't see the orange. So that was fascinating to me. So what you've really done is you've, you've compensated by just listening to their calls now. Well, you're right, and 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 knowing the the feather topography, know, knowing each feather what it's supposed to be doing in terms of patterns. When you talked about the uh, the the pictures, and I, I I took photography the whole time I was out there. Um, part of that was I was working with Cornell University Press to make this a, a very affordable book for students, mm -hmm. and we were determined to keep it under twenty dollars. And the only way to do that was not have a uh, have photos right uh, you know I totally understand uh, because I'm a garden writer and um, I did a recent book with photos and I could not believe this tiny little book what they wanted or what they did charge mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. because it has pictures has color pictures in it it's like who wants to pay that <laughs> that's crazy right, you know, right. And, and I as a as a college professor I was always very attuned to what it was costing my students were paying so much more than when I was an undergraduate in the 1970s for yeah. for books so yeah. I wish I could have done that but that well I believe you have to be you are, are or were a very popular um uh, professor there I loved your blog post your post-election thoughts for environmental studies and science students sciences students on 11 11 2016 so evidently I mean you were in the field when um, Trump was elected and it would that sent kind of a shiver probably through your students lives because of the environmental things. How did your students respond when you sent out your blog? They, they appreciated that. Um, it they showed you really a, cared. In a capstone uh, class. And they were just saying to the, the professor who was a good friend of mine who was running that, you know, maybe should we change our majors, you know, going, yeah. going this and, and so on. Uh, 
a lot of these students were my advisees. And of course, I'm on sabbatical. What can you do? And you don't you don't really get a sabbatical from advising in some ways. Uh, and and so just kind of letting them know I was there and here are my thoughts and hang in there. And a lot responded to me right away. They just needed that invite to say, you know, to Well, email. and they needed the encouragement, right, that you had you know, that you had actually lived through a time when things weren't so good, but you you followed what your heart desired and it's worked out and you loved it. In other words, follow your passion, no matter what's happening, because things always change. Well, and that's it. And and you don't know what's in store and, and no. so on. I'm, I'm still in touch with a lot of those kids. I shouldn't say kids, but... Uh, I know, I call them kids too. When you work with them as students, they're always kids. <laughs> But, uh, you know, the ones that are graduating this spring and, and uh, not having a way to. It's so I feel, feel so sad uh, because I have a lot of my students who are graduating either high school or college or whatever, and they don't get to get a graduation this year. It's so, so sad. So um, we're running out of time, John. Your book is Nature Beyond Solitude, Notes from the Field. Do you have a website to promote? Because what, all I have was the cornellpress.cornell.eudbook. It's this long, long thing. Is there a website that people I just, should go I just to? Uh, set up one on Authors Guild. So I think oh, if good. You, if you so just Google John Farnsworth, I, <laughs> I don't have. You don't know it yet. I okay. should know it. So, okay, good. All right. Well, that's what we yeah. tell people. So Google John Farnsworth, F-A-R-N-S-W-O-R-O-R-T-H. The oh, name yes. of the book is Nature Beyond Solitude, Notes from the Field. And you will really love it. I just loved your book. I laughed. I I just chuckled a lot. And I, I really enjoyed the way that it, you obviously are writing the way you're feeling and thinking and your observations were so fun and you you inserted so many different things that I loved it so we're out of time but I want to thank you thank so you, much Cynthia. for being star style and um best of success to you and your wife and enjoy living out there on the island and thank all of you for being great listeners make sure you're here every Wednesday 4 to 5 p.m pacific we want to bring you renowned authors from around the globe because you can shave your life and you can make your dreams come true. For information about Star Style Productions, visit CynthiaBryan.com. To make a donation to Be The Star You Are charity that was uh, bringing you this show, visit BeTheStarYouAre.org. My aim is always to encourage, inspire, inform, amuse, and motivate. And read books this week. And we've got these great books for you. Until next week, when we celebrate once again, remember love always wins, kindness always prevails, and smiles will keep us happy. I'm Cynthia Bryan for Star Style. I thank you and encourage you. Be the star you are. See you next week. Be the star you are. The star you are. Be the star you are. You are. It's been a pleasure bringing you our life-changing program, Star Style, Be the Star You Are. 
We have you on our radar as it's our goal to inspire, inform, entertain, and motivate you to be the star you were born to be. For more information, visit StarStyleRadio.com. And to make a donation to the charity, go to BeTheStarYouAre.org. Ignite the flame that burns brightly within. Take charge of your life and coach yourself to success with our dynamic host and empowerment architect, Cynthia Bryan. Every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time, right here on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for another serving of champagne for the spirit and a power boost to live with star style. Until we celebrate together next week, be the star you are.